a radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Now let's, yes, the answer is, if a song says the word God, it should be singing about Jesus. But the question here is Jesus mentioned by name or concept is that, is it, is it clear that the person that we're singing to is Jesus? You start to separate others. So I have more good works than that person. And so this is where pietism ends up, that, uh, oh, I'm a better Christian because I have more good works than you. Our, our, our evangelism program would basically be like a roast. <laughs> All right, welcome to this edition of Table Talk Radio. And I have a, a, a great feeling. I know we're not supposed to you know, look to our feelings for truth, but I think that this is going to be a fantastic edition of Table Talk Radio because today we have a substitute co-host, and I'm pleased to announce our substitute co-host is Pastor Brian Ketchermeyer of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Los Alamos, New Mexico. Welcome, Brian. Well, I'm glad to be here, Evan. Uh, and we're uh, connected here through Skype, and I, I can see you in your office, and, and you're in your collar, and I'm on my day off with nothing, you know, hardly, just in my pajamas, basically, <laughs> is what I'm, <laughs> so I, I should apologize to you for this. Um, yeah, th- this is my day off, and these are my pajamas, too, so. <laughs> <laughs> I need to get a set Oh, I'm those. teasing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, uh, Pastor Brian Wolfmiller, I don't even know where he went. He's off, I don't know, probably parading around in purple in St. Louis or something like that. And uh, he told me that he was going to be gone, and he doesn't even know that we're recording today. So he might come back and realize he's he's no longer the co-host of, of Table Talk Radio. Um, uh, Pastor Ketchmar, you host your own uh, a radio program called uh, Redeemer Theological Academy. Um, how are things at the Academy? Oh, things are wonderful. Yes, uh, Redeemer Theological Academy, uh, where we talk about Christ and scriptures. Uh, we've been going through lectures on the Trinity and the book of Acts recently, and also looking at the, the written word uh, in the book of uh, Joshua and Judges and in the first and second Samuel. So that's where we're heading right now, just looking at the significance of the written word in those days. Ah, very good. Well, uh, then for today's lineup of Table Talk Radio, uh, we're going to be playing some Ten Commandments in the news. Pastor Ketchemeyer has a news item for that. And then for segments two and three, we're going to be playing this game called uh, Name That Heresy. <laughs> I've got a couple of uh, audio <laughs> clips. And Pastor Ketchemeyer, you're going to have to identify which heresy is being spoken of in these clips. Uh, and then we'll end up the show playing, or not really playing a game, just having a little bit of discussion upon um, an issue in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, the church body you and I are a member of. Uh, and that is the licensed deacon. So we'll f- wrap up the show talking about that. Uh, so a pretty good lineup. Um, the way we start out this show is uh, talking about some buzzwords. So do you have a buzzword, Pastor Ketchemeyer? I do. I have a buzzword for you, which is efficacious. Oh, that was mine. <laughs> 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 All right, you you go. I'll pick a new one. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so that, that's the, the word here, efficacious. And, and this is an important word when we talk about 
the scriptures. Uh, we, we know that the scriptures are inspired, that is, spirit breathed out by God, which, of course, if they're from God, they're infallible and inerrant. But in particular, we want to add an E word to these list of I words. Uh, and so it's not just that it's inspired, inerrant, and infallible, but it's also efficacious. Efficacious meaning that it effects. It does what it says. It actually has a power to do what God desires it to accomplish. Now, I have a follow-up question to that definition. Is it right to say that baptism is efficacious? That's great, because that's the Word of God. And so that's the Word of God in this external means of water. And so you have the same Word of God that's efficacious with the ink and the paper and the written scriptures and with the water and holy baptism and, of course, in the bread and the body, the blood and the wine of the Lord's Supper. Efficacious, doing exactly what God desires it to accomplish. Uh, Very good. Okay, my new theological buzzword for you, then, is uh, election. Um, election, <laughs> election does not uh, refer to um, synodical conventions or, uh, or you know, set, uh, November, uh, November Tuesday or anything like that. Election is a theological term referring to um, that before the creation of the world, the Lord chose whom he would save. Um, now, this is a wonderful doctrine of comfort that, uh, that we can uh, rest in. Um, and we have this um, in the scriptures that before the foundations of the world, uh, he chose us. Now, th- th- this is a difficult thing because we have always dealt with this this hardship that not everybody is saved. Jesus himself said the 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 road is uh, is narrow. The door is, the door is narrow, and so uh, we we are troubled with this question: Why are some saved but not others? And uh, sometimes we go further than what the scriptures speak. Uh, the scriptures say that uh, certainly uh, we are saved because of God's choosing. And because not all are saved, sometimes we think that, well, then God uh, must choose some to be damned, some to, to go to hell. Um, that's not what the Scriptures speak. They don't go that far. So we're going to let the Scriptures speak for themselves and simply always allow, let election, the doctrine of election, be a, a doctrine of comfort so that we can be comforted with the doctrine of election, knowing that God chose us. And we know he chose us because he baptized us. He gave us faith. He He uh, uh, brought this message to us by by uh, giving us belief in his son through his word that is efficacious. So uh, there it is, uh, the, the, the two buzzwords, efficacy and election. Now, I know, Pastor Ketchumar, you've never listened to the show before, so the, the, <laughs> the, the point is to uh, try and work, <laughs> try to work the, the other person's buzzword into the, to the natural conversation whenever possible. So. Wait, you, you say a show. Are we doing a show? I thought we were just talking on the phone. What's going on here? <laughs> oh, yeah. By the way, we're going to be doing a show today. <laughs> I, I have to come up with these ploys so that people will want to come on the show. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, let's play some Ten Commandments in the news. The way this works is we bring up a news item, and then we discuss which of the Ten Commandments are involved in this news story and uh, maybe discuss the, the item a little bit uh, as well. So do you have a, a, a piece of news there, Pastor Ketchemeyer? I do have a piece of news coming right out of Los Alamos, New Mexico, and here's the headline. New Mexico judge upholds gay marriage ruling in Los Alamos County. So here, this is right in my own county, my own city, my own place of residence. A northern New Mexico county became the eighth county in the state of New Mexico on Wednesday, of course, uh, previously, uh, to clear the way for same-sex couples to be married. 
The Los Alamos County's clerk office issued a marriage license to a lesbian couple shortly after a state district judge upheld a decision requiring that to happen. See, in, in this case, what was going on, Evan, is initially the county clerk refused to, to issue this license because on the license it says a man, it says woman, it says the name of the husband, the name of the wife, and she refused it. But this lesbian couple had a lawyer already in hand or there present with the media already knowing what's going to take place that they would be denied a license so that they could immediately go to the district judge to have the district judge force the county clerk to issue this license. Ah, very good. Wow. Um, Boy, you guys are troublemakers over there, aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This seems to happen a lot, doesn't it, that, uh, you know, uh, there'll be a homosexual couple, and they they have you know lawyers in hand ready to go, and they uh, push into some sort of a, a dispute that they know will will cause cause an uprising, and then they sit sick the lawyers on it to try and uh, make some sort of precedent in our country. We see that a lot. Um, so I'm just curious, what what's been kind of the local reaction to that? What, what have you what have you been hearing around town? Well, the the issue, of course, first is that this is a media event. It's a media circus, and that's exactly the leverage that's trying to be played. Because initially, this was just one county in the state of New Mexico where the county clerk decided to start issuing these. And then you have other counties following along. So it's just, it's kind of this whole domino effect. The more the, the media hypes it up, the more that you have different counties that are coming under scrutiny of whether or not they're going to follow suit. But, of course, the whole issue at hand is whether or not this is truly legal. (laughs) See, the county clerk cannot decide what the law of the land is. (laughs) So the real issue is going to be going back to the Supreme Court of our state and to deal with this in the the legal manner. Uh, Very good. Well, I'm going to venture out on some commandments here. Uh, Certainly one of the, the biggest ones that are involved in this story is the Sixth Commandment. You should not commit adultery. This deals with anything uh, uh, concerning marriage and family. Uh, so certainly, when uh, when uh, a couple, a homosexual couple, is fighting for this uh, so-called right uh, of marriage, um, this is a discussion of the sixth commandment and, uh, and and sexual desire. Uh, when we're dealing with the courts, we're dealing with uh, witness, and this uh, deals with the eighth commandment, and the government as well, dealing with the fourth commandment that we should obey father and mother. Um, which is including and other authorities. So 4th, 6th, and 8th. Um, and whenever we deal with anything, we deal with the uh, first commandment in there as well. Uh, you shall have no other gods, uh, the God who instituted marriage in the first place. Now, this is a stretch, I'll admit, but I kind of think that there's a 10th commandment going on, that this couple's coveting something that's not theirs, marriage. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And that calls into question, what exactly is a right? What do you have the right to do? Um, does anybody or anything, for that matter, have the right to be married? I mean, can two dogs be married? Can two cats be married? Can a bird and a snake be married? I mean, yeah, what, what is the, the rights here? Right, exactly right. Well, that's going to do it for the first segment of Table Talk Radio and that game, Ten Commandments in the News. If you want to contact us about anything you've heard, you can call us 1-800-385-SOLA, 1-800-385-7652, or send us an email, questions at tabletalkradio.org. 
After this commercial break, we'll be right back, and we're going to be playing the game Name That Heresy with Pastor Brian Kessemeyer on the hot seat. We'll be right back on Table Talk Radio. Don't fool yourself. There's only one God. Ten Commandments, because God loves us. Ten Commandments, and here they are. Table Talk Radio, a radio show that gives the opportunity to cope with disappointment week after week. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio and uh, this game, Name That Heresy. I'm pretty excited about having our guest co-host, uh, Pastor Brian Ketchemeyer, on because he might actually get some of these, and I'm not used to that. <laughs> um, maybe I'll be dishing out some Table Talk Radio points here sometime in the course of the show. Um, but uh, this is a pretty simple game, how this works. We have a, a, just an audio clip of something, and, and uh, Pastor Ketchemeyer is going to try and guess what heresy is being spoken of in this clip. So... Uh, he, he has uh, quite the gamut of uh, options to choose from. I mean, I mean, I know there's there's nothing new under the sun, so maybe that's your saving grace uh, as far as the guessing game is concerned, Pastor Ketchermeyer. Um, now, now, when you talk about options, how was the election process done in order to have these <laughs> little clips put together? Well, was there I, an election process? There was. Uh, first, I I awarded my co-host five points for using the buzzword, and then I. <laughs> <laughs> and then I went through and found something that would work and, and put it on there. So, uh, Well, how do you elect a, a buzzword? What's the election <laughs> process for a buzzword? <laughs> uh, I, I listen to the tinglings of my heart is how I pick them. Uh, <laughs> uh, you're not quite as smooth there on, on, on using the buzzword <laughs> yet. Now, do you remember uh, quite some time ago, maybe about a year ago, um, I, I'm not sure if you ever saw this, but on YouTube it just – uh, you know, one of these that went viral, these videos, and it was this evangelical um, young man who had a little video about why um, I love Jesus and hate religion. Um, this was pretty popular back then. It was in this kind of spoken word, kind of poetic video form. Well, uh, this video, this audio clip that you're about to hear is kind of a, a takeoff of that, a spinoff. And so you're tasked with hearing this uh, two-and-a-half-minute audio clip of trying to figure out what heresy it is. And uh, here's the audio. Look, what if I told you there was something you were missing? What if I told you that Jesus doesn't really fit into your description? What if I told you that follower of Christ doesn't automatically mean Christian? And just because you believe in faith doesn't mean Jesus didn't believe in submission and conviction. Listen, you say Jesus was God and that God had descended. We say Jesus was man for Jesus was dependent. Our God is all great and cannot be comprehended. You say that God was murdered or do you believe that he pretended? See, God gave us brains and God gave us logic, but I guess God wanted us to use them in everything else except for this topic. It's like wearing a cross and proclaiming that you love Jesus when if God was murdered on the cross, the cross really shouldn't please us. I mean, would you be wearing an axe if it was used to chop your mother up into pieces? See, this is what happens when you believe in faith but fail to believe in reason. See, we used to worship the Creator until Satan turned us to the creation. We began to worship the people and neglect the one who made them. We began to believe that God had died 
but how could a God even be created? A miraculous birth, and therefore the Son of God was begotten. See, the creation of Jesus was easy, but you seem to have forgotten. The God says be, and it is, just like with Adam, a concept too complex for the church to merely fathom. But he was the creator of the universe for all we know even more. And so what if we can't see him? I mean, what you acting like our universe is small? I mean, there's still so much we're still yet to explore. I mean, there's still so many things as human beings we still haven't seen, touched, heard, or saw. I mean, our eyes can't even handle the sight of the sun. So how can we possibly handle the sight of our Lord? See, Jesus used to pray. But in your opinion, who'd he pray to? I mean, if Jesus was God, surely prayer would be of no use. Or did he only require it when he needed to know the truth? Like when God wasn't sure whether it was the season of the fruit. Or maybe he prayed when there was something he couldn't do. Like when he said, I of myself can do nothing. But you took it as there's nothing he couldn't do. See, no one used to worship Jesus, so ask yourself why do you? A concept so straightforward, but it's left so many confused. All right, that's only about half of the video right there, but uh, that's enough to, to give you some ideas. Um, before you guess, Pastor Ketchmeyer, what are some things that maybe caught your ear in listening to that clip? <laughs> well, uh, first of all, I was trying to figure out the rhyming and the scheming. Um, <laughs> but what was important here is that this is a denial of the incarnation. And so this whole uh, not comprehending or being able to understand how God could take upon flesh and blood and enter into creation. So this uh, this rapper is talking about how could God be created and and. Just kind of confusing this whole issue of of who God is and what God has done and what God has revealed as he sent out the apostles to proclaim Christ crucified and Christ risen from the dead. And, and so you, you have all this total denial of the incarnation and questioning who was Jesus praying to and that we should just be on faith and reason rather than any kind of belief in your own faith. And so a lot of that just kind of just was mumbled together in a rhyming scheme. Uh, it, it seems like, I mean, uh, this is always maybe the, the thing that comes up, but it seems like he's he's uh, attacking a bit of a straw man, um, uh, a misrepresentation of, of what Christians believe. Um, perhaps he's, he's though, um, getting that perception of what we believe from misguided uh, Christians. Um, you know, for example, a belief in faith, you know, that uh, what we, that this is sort of a faithism, right? That we have faith in faith. And uh, if that's all you have faith in, then there's no need to worry about any reason or, or anything fitting together. Um, so do you have any idea who, what, kind of, what heresy this might be, Pastor Ketchmeyer? Well, this is a form of Arianism, which denies that Christ is God, denies that uh, there's two natures, that there's a divine nature and a human nature in the one Christ. Uh, it, obviously, when Arius was teaching this false doctrine, he wasn't rapping on YouTube, uh, so it wasn't a direct <laughs> descendant of Arius. But it could possibly be, probably, most uh, influential by an Islamic type of a group, uh, Islam, Mohammedism from Muhammad, who is taking the same kind of thinking processes of Arius – 
that how is it possible for God to take upon flesh, that that's just not possible for the creator to die. And so you see this fundamental misunderstanding, like you said, of the gospel, the whole purpose of why Christ had to die, this atoning sacrifice. And you, you see this confusion in Islam a lot, that Islam does not understand the atoning sacrifice of Christ on the cross. So that's why Islam has to teach that Jesus in reality didn't die on the cross, as, uh, as the Muslims now say, uh, centuries later, of course. <laughs> yeah, you are exactly right. This is uh, Islam, uh, 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 a Muslim rapper uh, trying to, to kind of copy the spoken word po- uh, poetry. Um, yeah, you also have, I mean, this... Um, this great separation of 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 persons um uh, or i should say of the essence you know so so uh uh jesus um why would he be praying to the father if he himself is god right um and so you have a, again a misunderstanding that uh that god can be of uh, again one essence of the of the same uh, uh deity yet in separate persons um uh, he he den- denies that even that Jesus could be uh, a creation. Uh, then therefore, how could he how could he die? As you mentioned, um, and then also uh, I'm not sure if you caught this and this tipped you off towards uh, Islam or not, but you had this uh, nod to uh, submission at the very beginning. Uh, sort of. Uh, I, I didn't catch that. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the music in the background sounded very, very Islamic. <laughs> that too. Did that tip it off for you? Did that help? Yeah. <laughs> but but again, I, I think that like you were saying before, that sometimes in the church, it, it seems that the church itself doesn't know how to articulate the Christian faith. And so when we start talking this language of God being a person, this confuses everything because then if God God is a person, then how did the person of Jesus pray to himself? Because Jesus is a person, and he prayed to God who's a person. And so when we want to confess the Trinity, we need to be able to articulate a distinction in the person of the Father, person of the Son, and person of the Holy Spirit. And not talk about God as a person, but talk about this plurality of persons, that it's the Son speaking to the Father in prayer, not the Son speaking to himself. (laughs) And so when you have this misconception that God is one person and Jesus is God, then Jesus must be talking to himself. With about a minute and a half here, what would you make of what he said, uh, the assertion um, that Jesus never never received worship for himself? Yeah, this, this again is one of these uh, strange Islamic type of an ideas. Islam, understand, is a Christian heresy, okay? Muhammad is a false teacher who took a Christology, a false Christology of the person and work of Christ. And so this is this, this very similar Muslim type of an idea that it was originally Jesus was merely a prophet preparing the way for the greater prophet who's Muhammad, and that therefore Jesus was never worshipped. And it was later on some guy like, for instance, Paul or the later church, because of Greek philosophy, started 
worshiping Jesus and started talking about the Trinity. And so that's a very Muslim type of an approach. But the irony here, of course, is Islam arises about six centuries after the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord. And I mean, in any court of law, when you say, here's the witness of the apostles (laughs) who were sent out by Jesus and what they saw and heard and told what they were to say, and then you have Muhammad six centuries later saying something completely different. I mean, it's complete hearsay besides heresy. (laughs) Yeah, we weren't playing the name that hearsay. We're playing in that heresy. (laughs) All right. So for that, Pastor Keshemar, in addition to your five points for using the buzzword, I'll give you 200 more Table Talk Radio points, bringing you to 205. And one more round of Name That Heresy after this break. We'll be right back. So we submit to your ways, Heavenly Father. We submit to your ways, our King. We submit to your ways, Heavenly Father. We submit to your ways, our King. Table Talk Radio. The disaster continues. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. Another round of Name That Heresy ahead of us. Uh, We're joined by guest co-host Pastor Brian Ketchemeyer. You know, one more thing that we didn't talk about on Islam is this, uh, well, I guess we briefly mentioned it, this, this great um, emphasis on, on submission and obedience. And um, it, it does, I have to say, worry me when, um, when those well-meaning Christians um, emphasize the aspect of the Scriptures that would demand uh, obedience and demand, um, it, this would be the law passages, um, and and emphasize it in such a way that the the law is something that's keepable or the law is something that's doable. Um, I think that the problem that the that the the Muslim is going to have in that in, in that emphasis and and you know the Christian that would take this perspective as well is that uh, the the law because of our sinful flesh cannot be kept and that has to be pretty evident for anyone who takes a serious reading of the scripture. So uh, now we have uh, another round, Pastor Ketchmeyer. Good luck. Here's a, about a, a, a minute and a half clip for your next entry of Name That Heresy. Why is Jesus called God's Son? The Bible's answer. God does not have a literal wife with whom he fathered children, but he is the creator of all life. Therefore, the first human that God created, Adam, is called a son of God. Luke 3.38 Similarly, the Bible teaches that Jesus was created by God. So Jesus is also called a Son of God. John 1.49 God created Jesus before he created Adam. Regarding Jesus, the Apostle Paul wrote, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Colossians 1.15 Jesus' life began long before he was born in a stable in Bethlehem. In fact, the Bible says that his origin is from early times, from the days of time indefinite. Micah 5, 2 As God's firstborn son, Jesus was a spirit creature in heaven before he was born as a human on earth. Jesus himself said, I have come down from heaven. John 6, 38 
Okay, Pastor Ketchemeyer, uh, what's your first reaction to that audio clip? Well, again, we're, we're talking about this heresy that uh, Arius uh, introduces, uh, the denial of the deity of Christ. Now, the the way this sound, this could potentially be some type of a watchtower organization, uh, propaganda uh, tape or whatever it may be, uh, especially when they talk about this idea that he is a created being. The Watchtower is very keen on this idea that that Jesus is a created being, but before he took upon flesh and blood, he was a spirit being, but of course he was the first spirit being created, that he's created by God. Uh, so it's some type of a, a heresy uh, that's like Arianism. It could be the Watchtower organization. Jehovah's Witnesses in our day, uh, who are not witnesses of Jehovah by any stretch of the imagination, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but it could it could also possibly be something uh, from the Mormons. It could be that way too, because they also uh, have a different understanding of Christ, uh, and so this idea of a created being that could become a god. So I I don't know if you had more of the the audio clip, it might then go more Mormon where then he has the ability to become a god. But <laughs> but because of what we heard, it was probably like a watchtower type of a clip. Is that is that what you're submitting as your final answer? That's my election, yes. I'm <laughs> electing to uh, submit that one. <laughs> well, uh, I don't know if your word is efficacious, but uh, you are right again. So... Uh, you're right. This, this came from uh, JW.org. Uh, oh, okay. Jehovah's see, <laughs> Watchtower organization. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, now, I wanted you to respond to this um, assertion that they make that uh, Jesus is a son of God, just as Adam is described as a son of God. How do you respond to the Jehovah's Witness on that, Mark? Well, uh, of course, the the issue here is that you have to look at the context and understand what is taking place in this definition of a son of God. And so you have, we all are, by being baptized, are adopted sons of God. And to be an adopted son of God is to have this inheritance of the kingdom. So we're heirs to the kingdom. But what's unique with Jesus is that he is the only begotten Son of God, the monogenes in the Greek. And so when you have in the Scripture this uniqueness of Jesus being begotten, this is the opposite of being created. Because to be begotten is to be of the same essence, the same substance. And so when you talk about Adam being a Son of God being created, well, he's not begotten. He's not of the same divine essence. It's just like if I go home to lunch and I make myself a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, that peanut butter and jelly sandwich is not begotten by me. It's not of the same essence. It was made or created by me. Uh, How do we then respond to that 1 Corinthians 15 passage, the firstborn of all creation? Uh, He is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn of all creation, because by means of him all things uh, were created in the heavens. 
Yeah, the, this whole idea of a firstborn, what, what happens with the Watchtower organization is you have people who are very illiterate in the scripture, uh, theologically uh, incapable. They, they, they can't theologically think things through. They cannot grasp Christology, and they always want to, with their logic and their rational thinking, make sense of the text. So if the text says firstborn, it must mean that he was the first one born. And if he's the first one born, well, all things that are born are created, therefore he must be the first created. But that's not what this Greek word prototokos means. Prototokos doesn't mean that in and of itself you are sequentially, chronologically, the first one who is birthed. I mean, we see this in the Old Testament, uh, where you have Jacob and Esau. The firstborn is the one who has the right of the one who was born first, okay? So to be the firstborn is actually the same title that God gives to Israel in Exodus. So when the Lord talks uh, to Moses, and Moses is going to proclaim the word of God to Pharaoh, Moses tells Pharaoh that Israel is God's firstborn. Now, that doesn't mean that the people of Israel are then a baby. <laughs> it's, it's a title, that they're heirs, they're heirs of the promise, they're heirs of the promise. So what's unique with Jesus being the firstborn is he is the one who has the heir. He's the heir of the kingdom. He's the one that establishes the kingdom. He brings it and he gives it to us. And so what's unique also in that passage, when you look at these passages like in Colossians or in Revelation, where Jesus is the beginning of creation, that doesn't mean he was the first thing that was created. It means he was the beginning of of creation. He's the source of creation, the one who brought all created things into existence. And so this is where the Jehovah's Witnesses play fast and loose with the scripture, because with these texts about Jesus being the one who laid the foundation of the earth, just like it, I mean, you look at Hebrews chapter one, and here you have the father declaring the son to be Jehovah. <laughs> so the father is declaring the son to be the one who laid the foundation of the earth, even though we know in the Old Testament, it's Jehovah who lays the foundation of the earth. So the Father confesses the Son to be Jehovah, Yahweh, to be the one creator of all things that are created. And so the scripture makes it clear that nothing came into existence apart from Jesus. And so therefore, Jesus is not part of the created order of things. He's the source. He's the beginning of creation. Uh, what did Jehovah's Witnesses? They have a special uh, special role for uh, Michael the Archangel. What what is that? Yeah, that's, yeah, this is so great. I mean, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the, they'll quote all these Bible passages, come to your door, have these magazines that quote Bible passages, and they're proof texting. They love to just drop texts all over. And, and, and to the average Christian who doesn't know to con how to confess or articulate the Trinity, this becomes uh, very confusing, because how do they have this slew of passages? But the irony is, the one thing that they never talk about is this idea that the Son of God, God, okay, Jesus, is actually Michael the Archangel. <laughs> so the, the Jehovah's Witness understanding that they get from the Watchtower organization is that the pre-existence of the Christ was the angel Michael. 
Okay, so the archangel Michael is the one that created everything except for himself. So the idea is that Jehovah is a God who creates Michael the archangel, and then Michael the archangel creates everything else. Well, the problem is they don't have any proof text for this. So they have to establish their point with just this load of proof text. And once you buy into their load of proof text, then they slip under the rug and say, oh, yeah, and by the way, Michael the archangel is the pre-incarnate Christ. <laughs> <laughs> and by that time, you've accepted their uh, Watchtower Society as, uh, I guess, another source for truth rather than simply the Scripture. So it's too but late. But even more than another source, the only source ah, of truth. Yeah. So they establish that they're the only ones who have the truth. Yeah, very, yeah. Uh, now, have you, have you ever seen uh, a document or a, a Jehovah's Witness uh, himself lay claim on a Bible passage to try and prove the uh, St. Michael point? I have never interacted with one. I specifically <laughs> asked a Jehovah's Witness to give me the text clearly and just concisely where it says that Jesus is the Archangel Michael. He refused to give it to me because he wanted to talk about different things instead. But the irony in the whole conversation is he wanted a specific passage where Jesus specifically says, I am Yahweh, worship me. <laughs> and so I said, I want a passage that says, I am Michael the Archangel, don't worship me. <laughs> but he doesn't have such a passage. Very good. Well, you got it. So I'll give you another 200 points. So you have have now 405 Table Talk Radio points, and we are going into our next commercial break. After this break, stay tuned. We'll be talking about licensed deacons in the LCMS. We'll be right back. Table Talk Radio. Disappointing listeners since 2008. And welcome back to Table Talk Radio. In this segment, uh, we spent a little bit of time talking about uh, this. Uh, program that we have in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, the church body that Pastor Brian Ketchemeyer and myself are members of. And uh, Pastor Ketchemeyer, why don't you take us to 1989 and describe for us what happened at our church body's convention that year in Wichita, Kansas? Yeah, well, so if we have a time machine like a DeLorean from Back to the Future, and we go back to Wichita 89 because that's the election process during our conventions that we have for uh, elected officials, but, but what takes place at Wichita 89 is not only do you have elections, but you also have uh, uh, resolutions that are put forth uh, that overtures are brought forth to vote on. Is this the direction we're going to go? Now, the Wichita 89 saw an issue at hand was that there were were 135 lay ministers that were scattered throughout the Missouri Senate who were doing various types of word and sacrament ministry without a call or ordination. So the issue at hand was, we have this going on, and it's been going on for quite some time in 1989. Uh, it probably was way back, I'm going to guess, mid-70s where this started happening. So this had been going on for about a decade. And so the way that we 
deal with the issue at hand is not say that this is a problem. These guys are doing things without a call and ordination, but instead we say, well, we'll just make a new authorization system. And so what they did is they took this concept that we had in our uh, our Constitution and bylaws of the Missouri Synod that somebody from another country who comes to the United States and has already gone through the theological training in the seminary of another country in a Lutheran church comes to the United States and says, now I want to be a pastor in the Missouri Synod. Well, we had a process at that time period in the 80s in which we would take this man who has already has the theological training, already graduated from seminary, and we would license him to be in this process as a licensed pastor of the Missouri Synod until he was fully qualified. That uh, we actually looked at the coursework that he had and, and to see if he needed extra courses to bring him up to the theological aptitude of the Missouri Synod. So we had a system of licensing, but that system was for a guy who already has the theological training, a graduate of a Lutheran seminary. And somehow we just grabbed a hold of this term and says, well, we have the idea of a license. Let's just give it to these guys who are doing word and sacrament ministry and just license them. <laughs> so that's Wichita 89 then came up with a set of guidelines to say, well, in an extraordinary circumstance in which there is not a pastor available, then we could license him. And so the whole Wichita 89 sets up guidelines that the district presidents are to follow in order to be the, the licensing agent of the Senate. So each district president is the one who gives a license to one of these lay ministers. Okay, so say someone's listening to this and, and uh, you know, maybe ha- have no idea uh, what the Lutheran Church or the, or the Lutheran doctrine says about um, you know, ordination, and is confused. Well, what would be wrong with uh, someone who, you know, means well, um, maybe feels the God calling his heart to to serve a congregation this way to to uh, administer the sacraments or uh, to preach sermons on a regular basis? What would be wrong with that? So prove it to from the to, prove it to us from the scriptures, Pastor Ketchermeyer. Well, uh, first of all, we we have to understand that there is an office that Christ himself institutes, that he puts into place through which the gospel is going to be preached and the sacraments will be administered. And so when Christ sends out the apostles, he sends them out to proclaim the gospel. And so you see the sending out of the apostles at the end of Matthew, where they're to go and make disciples. How do you make a disciple? By baptizing and teaching in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so throughout the scriptures, we see this record of how the apostles went out, proclaimed Christ crucified, and then the apostles found a man who was qualified, who could teach the same doctrine that they were teaching to the flock that had now been called out of darkness into light, as the apostles would then continue to go from city to city. And so you see in the scriptures, the apostles setting in place this whole system of successors. And in particular, you see this in Paul's letter to Titus, uh, first and second letters to Titus, I'm sorry, his letter to Titus, and his first and second letters to Timothy. And so you see in these letters where Paul is talking to Titus and Timothy, who were successors of Paul. They're not apostles, but they're going to be the next generation apostles uh, of the preachers, the man who's going to continue to 
proclaim Christ in that setting. So that, for instance, you see how the apostles went around, like in Acts chapter 14, you see this, that they went and they appointed elders, okay, appointed an elder. An elder is going to be this man who is mature in the faith to proclaim the apostolic doctrine in every church. With prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord and to those whom had believed in the Lord. So you see the apostles setting this up in Acts chapter 14. You see how Paul talks to Titus in chapter 1, where he says to Titus, I left you in Crete for this reason, that you would appoint an elder in every town as I directed you because he's going to put into order what is lacking. So a congregation, a gathering of God's people without a pastor is lacking. And so you don't want the sheep to be without a shepherd. And so a lacking congregation, you need to put a man in place to feed the sheep. And so the idea here is that we want to be certain and sure that this is the man that God himself has set in place to speak God's word to God's people. You want the sheep to be certain that they are hearing the voice of the good shepherd who laid down his life for them. And so this whole office is established by Christ for the sake of the sheep, to hear the gospel and to receive the sacraments. So uh, the the issue, um, well, let me just put it this way. Is, is the issue that um, uh, those might have against uh, so-called licensed deacons um, consecrating the sacrament and preaching on a regular basis in, in, in services, is the issue that they lack the the education that they don't have a particular degree that they don't have letters behind their name is that the problem well that in and of itself is not the problem so that when we look at these successors to the apostles so when paul talks to titus and to timothy he gives qualifications for the man that is to be placed into this office i mean so he tells timothy what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses now entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach. And so you you want this man to be apt to teach. But in order to be apt to teach, you have to know what you're to teach. You're to teach the apostolic doctrine as given to us in the written scriptures. And so the education is part of this whole process of creating a pastor, of forming a pastor to teach the doctrine of the apostles. And so the education foremost is that process of of forming the pastor. But then just when somebody's educated, in and of itself, it doesn't make him a pastor. Now he needs to be placed into an office in which he can teach, in which he can preach, in which he can administer the sacraments. So he needs to be called and ordained, set in that office that we know for certain this is God's man who God wants to work with. Could could you describe the the nature of that of that call? Um, I mean, I I could see someone saying, "Hell, well, um, you know, I I feel like God's calling me to to serve this church on First Street, um, so on Sunday I'll go over there and start doing that." How is that different from a call that you're speaking of? Uh, right. So there's a difference between an internal call, which would be inside your heart. You know, the feelings that you have, you say, I feel that God wants me to do this. I have a desire to do this. And so that's inside you. That's an internal call. 
And so when we talk this language of call and ordination, we're talking about an external call, something from the outside. So it's not you coming to a congregation and said, God told me in a vision that I'm supposed to be your pastor. Instead, it's an external call from outside of you, that the congregation itself speaks and says, you're the one that we want to be our pastor. So you're the man we want to place in the office so that you can teach us, you can shepherd us, and you can feed us. And so that's the external call, is that it comes from outside of you. It's not your feelings inside, but it's the outside coming to you to put you into this office. You you spoke earlier about the certainty that the man who is speaking to your to your church congregation on Sunday morning is speaking with that authority of God. Um, what what might what uncertainty might exist uh, if if the process is circumvented and a, a man is doing these uh, actions, these these things that a pastor does without a proper call? What what uncertainties might arise for someone in that congregation? Well, let me just give you a a very silly scenario, but let's just say you go to a church service this Sunday, and you have a called and ordained pastor who is up front serving at the altar, preaching from the pulpit, and then you have uh, in the pew that you're sitting in, another man just stands up and says, I feel that I am called by God to preach to this congregation, and he starts preaching. And then you have another man in another row who stands up and says, I just also have received an inner call by God to be the preacher of this congregation, and he starts preaching. And then you have another man in another pew stand up and say, God has just given me the revelation that I'm the pastor of this congregation. And it would be utter chaos, and it would be uh, this whole level of uncertainty. Now you're looking around saying, well, this guy's claiming that God is giving him a direct revelation that he is now to be the pastor. But this guy in the other pew says he has a direct revelation. This guy says he's got a direct revelation. But then the guy up front says, but I have the external call from you as a congregation. So it just, it begins to to boil down to this uncertainty. Now, who is the man who is rightly called to that congregation? Is it these individuals who say that God has given me this inner voice and now I know for certain, now you must listen to me. And so this whole idea of certainty is that as a congregation, you call this man and as a congregation say, we want this man to be our pastor because he is apt to teach and he has uh, spoken the words of uh, the, the, the Lutheran confessions that this is what he will teach by. He will remain faithful to the scripture and that's the man we want. Now, if Joe Schmo just shows up on a Sunday and says, I'm your preacher, you're always wondering, well, is he really the preacher? Well, then Joe Schmo goes and he starts another church down the street. You see this with American evangelicalism all the time. A new guy rolls into town and says, I'm now the preacher. <laughs> he starts looking for people to preach to. And then another guy comes up and starts a new church and says, I'm the preacher. I'm the one who's supposed to preach the gospel. So it's just it's this level of disorder where it's God who is the author of order puts things into place. But it's always the devil who comes behind God's order and tries to confuse things, tries to bring disorder. And when you have confusion, you have uncertainty. And when you have uncertainty, you have doubt. And then you begin to wonder if 
if I'm not sure if this man is really doing what he's supposed to do, if he's really the pastor, then you start to wonder, well, is it really the Lord's Supper that he's giving? Is it really a baptism that he's delivering? Is it really God's word that he's preaching? So this isn't, um, it sounds like you're not uh, having a criticism of licensed deacons just because they're not jumping through the right hoops. This is actually a, a care for souls of people in the congregation. Exactly. In our district, in the Rocky Mountain District, back at the 2006 convention, our district convention, we as a licensed deacon committee said that these men who are serving as licensed deacons need to be called and ordained so that they can be certain for themselves that God desires to use them and the congregation that they are serving can be certain that God desires to use them. So in 2006, our district convention said they need to be called and ordained. We sent this on to the synodical convention, but nothing happened in 2007. Then our district gathered again in 2009, and again, our licensed deacon committee went to the district and said, we need to provide a call and ordination for these men. Our district agreed. We sent this on to the Senate, and then in 2010, the synodical convention didn't do anything about it, okay? <laughs> so uh, we constantly, it's not the issue of this man, it's the fact that this man doesn't have a call and ordination. Uh, very good. Well, uh, I'm afraid that's going to be all the time we have. Uh, Pastor Ketchemeyer, thank you for, for coming on and, and taking Brian's spot. I'll tell you, this was a much-needed reprieve, and uh, we appreciate you coming on uh, Table Talk Radio. And be sure to uh, check out uh, Redeemer Theological Academy. Uh, uh, RedeemerTheologicalAcademy dot is it dot org? It's RedeemerTheologicalAcademy dot org. All right, thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio, where the points are like a blank license, which you gives you the to right to do Talk whatever Radio. you want. The views expressed on this show are that of the hosts and do not reflect the views or opinions of this station. We would like your feedback on today's show. Call us toll free one eight hundred three eight five SOLA. That's 1-800-385-SOLA. Or send us an email, questions at tabletalkradio.org. You can listen again to this show or any of our past shows on our website, tabletalkradio.org. Thanks for listening and tune in again next time to Table Talk Radio.